salutations, peace, and blessings. You're listening to the Kneel Down Podcast. I'm your host, the Commish, and I am on this mic tonight. Special podcast, special episode, because I want to talk about something that's been bothering me all day. And this comes in large part due to the recent firings of the NFL coaches over this past week. The number is now up to eight as far as vacancies within the NFL. The latest victim, if you want to call him a victim, is head coach, a former head coach of the Houston Texans, Dave Culley. He was fired after just one season with the organization. And it comes during a time where the Houston Texans are in disarray. There is There are so many problems that are going on with the Texans. I don't even want to go into all of them. I don't even want to get into most of them. It's still the fact that the Houston Texans are going backwards regarding how they can manage a team, a football team in the NFL. And they hired David Culley after they fired Bill O'Brien. And from what I can remember when they first hired him, the first thing that came to my mind was that David Culley was well-liked by a number of people within the NFL. And and I would have to think maybe he was well-liked by GM Nick Casario and owner Cal McNair. And and, and so I really thought that this man had a chance to maybe stick around with that team for a little more than maybe four seasons. And the optimism comes with the fact that there are so many coaches, preferably black coaches, that don't spend as much time with an organization than white coaches. And so the narrative here sounds great. It sounds as though they hired this man to allow quarterback Deshaun Watson an opportunity to sign, or not just sign, but to stay with the team in an effort to maybe keep him with the organization, to keep him with the Texans. But of course, Deshaun Watson made up his mind about the Texans on top of the fact that he's facing 23 counts of sexual assault. So he has so much on his plate. But the point I'm making about Dave Culley is that he's so well liked by so many people within the organization. It just blows my mind. I cannot fathom why this man would lose his job after one year. Now, for some people, they've already painted the picture that after a year of being with this team and going 4-13, and 13, it's not the idea or it's not the look that perhaps the GM and the owner likes. However, you hired David Culley in large part to A, bring Deshaun Watson out of the shadows so he can play football, and B, to somehow clean up the mess that Cal McNair and others have done with this Texans organization. One person called him a scapegoat for the Houston Texans. And whether I feel as though he was a scapegoat or not, the concept is all the same. He was not there to try to change the team. He was not there to try to build this team into winners. He was just there to fill a quota. He was there to just place his butt in the seat and to run that team until further notice. And whether that was explained to him, whether that was told to him before he took the job with the Houston Texans, the bottom line is that they did this man wrong, incredibly wrong. And people will say whatever they want. They'll say, well, he probably did not 
earned the position based off how he ran the team. Okay, fine. But the question that I have this evening is, how do you expect any coach, preferably black coaches, an opportunity to change around any team if you don't allow them to time along with the talent to do so? In some ways, in some cases, this is just a way to make things look better for themselves, meaning the organization, meaning management meaning the owner or the general manager, because in their eyes, they feel as though they're doing something right. They're doing something for the greater good of hiring this black coach to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. So then why would you fire him after one season? What was it that you saw in Dave Cully a year later that you probably didn't see at the time that you hired him? And this is the problem that the commission has. This may go beyond black coaches versus white coaches there have been a number of black coaches within the last few years dating back to 2019 that have lost their jobs after perhaps fulfilling just two or three seasons with that team there have been exceptions there have been coaches that have only survived one season with those teams Vance Joseph Steve Wilkes now David Cully, all of them African-American. And interesting enough, I'm listening to ESPN. I'm listening to Fox Sports. I'm listening to whatever may be on television that is talking about this horrible, poignant issue, problem within the NFL. And it's fascinating how there's so many perspectives around racism. Now, when you think about the NFL and when you think about how things are portrayed, perceived, interesting enough, the NFL a few years ago decided upon themselves to speak up for black lives and how much black lives matter. And so they passed this this project to influence others and to inform others that the NFL doesn't look at just color when you're talking about football. They look at a number of things. They look at a number of attributes that make up this particular organization, the NFL. Interesting enough, more interesting enough, if anybody pays attention to any football games, if you look in the end zone, there's usually messages, mantras that they leave that they try to establish and, 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 and make people see and understand what the NFL is trying to do. And one of the mantras that you may see in the NFL in the end zone says, end racism. Two words. It's a powerful statement. It's a very profound statement. Because somewhere in the middle of that statement, be it a cliche, is the fact that no one, including the NFL, can end racism. Racism is an issue that has been, dare I say, around since the beginning of time, since civilization first got started. Maybe it's not as pronounced as it is now. Maybe there are some things that we've seen in the past that 
you know, if, if you lived through the 50s, if you lived through the 60s, for, for many of those that are still alive, you lived from the 20s, lived through the 30s, we have seen our share of racism. And we've seen how black people, in the midst of all the issues, problems, and brutality, and murders that came from them, we persevered. And it makes you wonder how much this perseverance really plays a role in today's society, today's economics, today's businesses. And especially when you look at a organization, you look at a program like the NFL that's been around for over a hundred years. And you look at the number of people, the many people that made up the NFL over that hundred year span. Fascinating enough, someone on Fox Network, or I can't remember the show, came out and made a great point, a few good points. One of the points that he made out was that the NFL is made up of 70% African-American players. Now, I'm not here to take pride in that. I think it's just the reality that is. I believe that in order for teams to be successful, we're going to need black athletes. We're going to need talented black athletes. We're going to need outstanding talented black athletes and so it is i don't think anybody is going to make any type of argument regarding that because if you look at most sports there are a number of black athletes that perform within that particular sport basketball baseball what have you what bothers me is that how we know all these stats how we know all these facts and yet when it comes to hiring black coaches, it's become the biggest pariah in such an organization where the majority of people are black. The majority of players are black. How do we get to a point now where in the cusp of everything that's going right about the NFL, that we still can't find people willing to give other people an opportunity to coach their team. On top of that, why does it have to be a situation where these black coaches only spend about two or three seasons with one team? Outside of Marvin Lewis, outside of Mike Tomlin, outside of Tony Dungy, they may be the only coaches I can think of right now that have coached a team or teams over a span of 10 years or more. Just off the top of my head, there may be others, but they're not many. They're not many to sit here and be able to glorify because the truth of the matter is this, owners that are in charge of these teams do not want to see a black coach succeed under their regime. They don't. And people could say what they want. Another interesting point that came up was the fact that due to the fact that we have 70% of African-Americans playing football, I guess that would make 30% of non-African-Americans playing football. Okay, cool. I get that as well. But interesting enough, even with that being said, are we sitting here trying to justify the fact that because we don't have enough black coaches is in large part because we have too many black players? Or is it the fact that maybe there are not enough non-African-American players to make up for the lack of black players? Or dare I say black coaches? 
And then something else was interesting that came up in conversation that there's somebody came up and said there was a point that they were making that there were more black coaches being hired in the NFL than white coaches. Why would that be? See, the thing about this is when you work for a when you work for a network, a professional network that specializes in talking just about football, or if you work for a network that talks a lot about sports, you're not as you're not at liberty to say the things that you really want to say. Because I gotta believe if you're an athlete and if you're a football player. And then if you're a black football player and you hear these stats and you hear these facts and you hear these notes and you hear everything else is going on, it will make you think twice about how much the NFL is truly trying to end racism. Because perhaps it doesn't involve the owners. Perhaps it doesn't involve the general managers. Maybe the people that are trying to end racism don't have the power to be able to exercise such a feat because it's nearly impossible to do. There are just so many people just within the NFL, I'm just centering in on the NFL, that see these black coaches and think they will not coach here any longer than three years. This is just, this is just a stepping stone. This is just temporary until the guy that you really want comes out of the shadows, starts to exist comes to fruition so now we want to invest more time in him and less time in david cully or less time in uh hugh jackson or less time with a steve wilkes or less time than with a van joseph the problem here is time the problem here is the lack of time you allow these coaches to do their job they were hired for this position for a reason And if you're going to sit there or stand there or be in any type of situation and say that you only hired them because you're black, that is racist. Now, we know that these owners will not come out of their mouths and say it to us publicly. However, there are still stipulations out there that exist of those emails that got John Gruden fired, of which it does center around a number of executives within the NFL that probably concentrate a lot on racism. It's the only reason why it hasn't been exposed. It's the only reason why it hasn't been brought to our attention till now. And it's problematic because nothing is being done about the so-called racism that doesn't exist in the NFL. So the commission has a problem because whether this is a black and white situation, whether you want to make this a black and white situation, the question that I have is how many non-black coaches were fired after one season? And I'm pretty sure the percentage of that is extremely low, but it's the fact that even if it's low or non-existent, The last non-black coach to be fired in the year was Freddie Kitchens. And that was two seasons ago with the Browns. So you mean to tell me in the span of two years since we saw Freddie Kitchens go after a season, that for the years after that, the number of non-black coaches that have probably had horrible seasons with their teams, but still managed to coach these teams are a lot greater 
than the number of black players that might have only spent three seasons with that one team. And whether that team improved or not, whether that team left with a, a, a high winning record, made the playoffs, maybe maybe played in the AFC or NFC championship, it's the fact that black coaches are not given enough time to somehow perform whatever type of uh, duty works that they may have as a coach to make a team better and it probably drives a lot of these owners crazy because they cannot communicate with these coaches they cannot blend in with some of these coaches they can't get a word in edgewise with these coaches perhaps the coaches have a little bit more arrogance to them than the owners maybe the coaches are the ones that tell the owners hey listen i got this under control i don't need you right now I don't need to hear what you need to say or feel about this team because I'm the one in control. Now, maybe there's some black coaches that probably haven't come in their mouths and said that. But if there's no communication between boss and coach, perhaps this becomes an even bigger problem because whether the coach needs to talk to the owner or vice versa, there should always be some level of communication. And I've, I'm afraid that they, it doesn't exist. I don't think it exists to the degree where these owners feel complete with themselves to keep these black coaches uh, in office or keep these black coaches with a job, to keep them employed, to keep them within that team. Dave Culley was there for a year. And as much as you spoke high about this guy, it really didn't make a difference some time ago when you fired him. And then you'll say, well, you know, he didn't get a chance to turn this team around. Well, I wonder why. And then you look at the coaching situation in Miami, what they did with Brian Flores. It's amazing. The man might have been there three seasons, perhaps four seasons. You let him go because you felt as though there was too much inconsistencies. What? So you mean to tell me with all the other coaches that you've had over the last few days that lost their jobs, for the for the coaches that probably have spent more than just three seasons with them, you mean to tell me that at some point you didn't see the inconsistencies until it was brought to your attention and then you felt like firing them? Because why else would Mike Zimmer lose his job? Why else would you let Matt Nagy do what he did with the Chicago Bears? Why not keep him around? And it's interesting how these people think, meaning the commentators, meaning the, the um, analysts, the people that are talking about this because there are some commentators that believe that because you didn't do enough with this team, you deserve to lose your job. So what you're basically telling me is this, as a commentator, as an analyst, as a broadcaster, if your numbers slip from one year to the next, then you should lose your job, that you shouldn't be on TV talking sports or talking on the radio. Is this what it's come down to? The fact that you underperform, you underachieve, and thus you should lose your job. And there's some people who say, well, I'll find another job tomorrow. No, you will not find another job tomorrow. And if you do, it's because your best friend decided that he was going to throw you a bone to let somebody else know that you need a job. Because let's face it, it's still about nepotism. It's still about favoritism. And it's still the fact that if you have a friend of yours in your back pocket that has power in any network, in any channel, 
there's a greater chance that he'll get the job before I do. Maybe that's not what people think and see as racism. But there's another term that I like to use. It's called systemic racism. Because even though you're not, even though you're not demoralizing a black person, what you're basically saying is, we'll hire you, but we don't really want to keep you. We'll give you a chance, but not if we start to improve this team with talent. Anthony Lynn left, Anthony Lynn lost his job once they hired, excuse me, once they drafted Justin Herbert. They gave him one season to try to change that team around. I believe the team finished seven to nine. And before they could sneeze, Brandon Staley gets the job with the Chargers. Brandon Staley was supposed to take this team, the Los Angeles Chargers, to the playoffs and thus perhaps the Super Bowl. But he blew too many games based on what his philosophy was on how to score points. Perhaps he saw that going for it on fourth down more than maybe three or four times would give him the advantage, but it failed. And then to make matters worse, he comes out and says, paraphrasing, that this is the direction that the Chargers are going in, where we're not going to just sit there and just punt every time. We're going to go for it on fourth down with an opportunity to win. But you didn't. You didn't win that game. You didn't win the game that counted last week against the Raiders. And now look where you are. So what I'm hearing is that in spite of what you did that you knew was not going to get this team to win, you're going to do it anyway because it's all about me. It's all about Brandon Staley. And that's what I heard. Maybe that's not word for word, but that's the impression. I run this team the way I want to run this team. Excuse me. Because last I checked, there were a lot of other coaches, 31 other coaches that feel and felt the same way. And there are some coaches that are untouchable. And I understand why. But it really makes you wonder, would you have fired a Jimmy Johnson after one year? Because for those that can remember, when he took over the Cowboys, he didn't have a winning record. I don't even think they won two games. But somehow or another, he kept his job and won two championships for that team. Andy Reid, after one year, did they fire him? <laughs> Philly kept him around for nearly 20 years. This guy goes to Kansas City, and would you believe, lo and behold, he wins a championship with them? Bill Walsh, after one year, did they think about firing him? That team was garbage, trash before they got Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and a slew of other guys that are in the Hall of Fame today. It's the fact that you know what you want to do with the players and teams around you, but if the coach is not to your chagrin, then you have no desire to keep them around any longer than necessary. And it just so happens that these coaches are African-American. Ladies and gentlemen, that is systemic racism. You can say what you want. You can turn this off if you want. The commission's giving it to you straight. I've got no reason to cheat anybody from thinking anything else. There's a problem. If you look at the NFL right now, only see one black head coach within the organization. That's not an accident. There's a reason behind this. And whether people want to acknowledge that or not, it's the fact that this does have to stop. 
But the problem here is there's no reason why anybody should try to stop it. The person that could stop it is the one person that's just going along with the flow. He has become the puppet of the NFL. And those that are listening to this now understand who I'm talking about. Because it's the one person that's talking about ending racism that is somehow enabling racism. So says the commission. Bothers me to the core. It bothers me that we can sit here and look at all these coaches that are are horrible with these teams. And I'm not going to run down a list of coaches that are horrible with these teams. But last I checked, Dan Campbell didn't have a great season with the Detroit Lions. 3-13-1. Will that get him some type of Hall of Fame honors? Of course not. But he still has a job. There's just so many coaches out there that had horrible seasons with their team. And yet they're still with their team in spite of the fact that they've had hard. Because the idea is still the same. We like this guy. This guy plays golf with me. This guy goes bowling with us on Tuesday nights. His wife and my wife bake cookies together. It's, it's like, come on, man. This is not some soap opera. This is a business. This is a business where people lose their jobs and it's probably not going to be the same after that. They take assistant jobs, they take these assistant coaching jobs, and that's where they make their mark. There's a reason why assistant coach Eric Bieniemy said, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I don't want no head coaching job. Don't try to force me to coach the Jacksonville Jaguars. I won't last two seasons. He's no fool. Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, you name them. Some guys said, nah, I'm good. I'll stick where I am right now and make a name for myself here in the event that if I want to go anywhere else, I've got a better opportunity with an organization that truly respects me. That's what Tony Dungy said in his book. He said that the Glaciers saw him as a person that was a man of God and respected that and kept them with the Buccaneers for as long as they did. Because they understood it goes beyond being black. It goes beyond what you see on the surface. Perhaps Tony Dungy is a good coach. Perhaps a number of these black coaches are good coaches. But if you're not willing to give them a chance, then what difference does it make what you're trying to achieve as an organization? Everybody wants to go to the Super Bowl. But there's only two teams that go. Everybody wants a shot at that championship, but only one team can get it. And it makes you wonder which team really invests within their squad, within their organization, within that location, whatever city it may be, to manage a team and to coach a team in a position to go out there and win games with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. This is the Kneel Down Podcast. I have been the Kamish. We're not too far from honoring, celebrating the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. For those that know or don't know, if you don't know, shame on you. I'm assuming you're probably five years old. But Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood for everything that I preached about for the last several minutes. 
going on 28 minutes now. And I won't go into specifics. But the point I'm trying to make here is that for what Dr. King saw in his time, be it the 50s, the 60s, what he saw is pretty much what I see now in the NFL. And someone took the time out to stand up and talk about it, to have a speech about it, to have a movement about it. And then things started to happen. Things started to work. And even though today in 2022, it may not be working as well as it should, it's still the point that somebody had to speak up on it to get things started. Somebody had to make mention of what they saw that was wrong before we even brought it to the light. Perhaps I've done the same. Hopefully I have. But I'm sure there's so many other people that are talking today that feel the same. I just hope it's placed in the position where it could be an improvement and not a detriment. With that being said, I hope everybody enjoys their Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Hope people will be able to take the time out to reflect on what this man was all about. It's because of him I feel I need to speak out today. With that being said, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of this week. Hope everybody is reflecting on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. With that being said, I will say peace and love to all those out there. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and I'm out. Thank you.